All right, forecasters, prepare for a completely unscripted podcast for tonight. Uh, I decided to do another episode this week. Um, It's not going to be far off topic from the episode I did on Wednesday. And I do apologize right off the bat that because this is totally unscripted, haven't written anything, it's all prepared in my mind. There's probably going to be a lot of ums and uhs throughout the podcast but you know what i've decided after listening listening to some friends podcasts and listening to other people out there or watching other people out there who totally do this unscripted ums and us aren't really that big of a deal because that's how people talk even in normal conversations sometimes we do have this innate ability to still say um and uh even when we I don't know what we're going to talk about. So, but I do apologize right off the bat that there will be no script tonight. First, and I say first, I haven't even really said what I plan on talking about tonight. I plan on on focusing on two things. Again, um, that frivolous lawsuit where Texas asked for permission to sue other states because they didn't like the results of their election. And once again, back on education. Um, and I will probably touch on uh, the COVID idiots one more time. But first, and a decision that was not at all surprising to uh, this particular person. I'm Michael Anders, by the way. In case you don't know by now. Um, but in a decision that was totally not unexpected by me or anyone who follows any of this, uh, the Supreme Court ultimately decided on a 7-2 decision not to even hear the case that Texas had brought up about wanting permission to sue other states. Now, the two dissenters, dissenters, Alito and... I forget the other guy's name. My apologies. Um... Well, let's let's just put it this way. Trump has appointed three Supreme Court justices to the Supreme Court in his term. All three voted not to even let this come before the Supreme Court. The two dissenters, uh, in their brief, their only disagreement with the decision was that they would have let uh, the lawsuit get a hearing at the Supreme Court. Excuse me. <clears throat> but that was about it. Um, and, and in real effect, it was a 9 nothing decision. Yes, it was 7-2 to two officially, but it was really 9 nothing uh, Because both of the dissenters, both of the, the two that said that they would allow a hearing, that's all they said they would do is allow a hearing. But just as a Quick recap, Texas AG decided who is under indictment, who's been under indictment for five years now. Sorry, I thought my phone was on silent. Go ahead and fix that real quick. Um, But he he wanted permission to file a lawsuit against Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Georgia. Officially, because... He felt 
that their decisions to allow melon voting was unconstitutional. Now, all the arguments I've heard about melon voting being unconstitutional, not once, not once, have heard any of these people say why it's unconstitutional. They just say it's unconstitutional. Uh, But they can't point to anywhere in the Constitution where it says that it is not allowable for states to offer mail-in voting. But in reality, this suit was nothing more than he did not like the results in those four states. Again, it's really surprising that he didn't also sue Arizona. He didn't like the results. That was... That's as deep as it goes. He didn't like the results. So he decided to try to get permission to sue those states so he could throw those votes away. Now, as I mentioned in my last podcast, even if that suit somehow would have managed to get through the Supreme Court and then gone on and and they actually won, that would not give Donald Trump the win in the Electoral College. In fact, he would still be losing to Biden. And I, I thought it was bad enough at that time when he filed the suit or filed the brief to allow the suit to go through. And then 17 states attorneys general also joined uh, this brief, including Oklahoma's uh, AG and Arkansas's AG. And then to top that off, initially 107 congressional Republicans also signed on. And this is after, of course, Donald Trump signed on. And by the time it was actually even brought to the Supreme Court so they can make a decision whether or not to even hear it, that number in Congress went up to 146. This is including several congressmen out of these states. And I wondered at the time, I still wonder to this day, did they even realize that if this suit was successful, that their votes would also be thrown out? That their elections would be thrown out? That in fact, if this suit went through and was successful, that when it came time to swear in the new uh, congression, uh, the new Congress, they would not be there. They would not be allowed to be seated because their election was thrown out. And there's only one word that comes to mind when I think of these 146 uh, congressional members. Almost entirely men, by the way. And I'm pretty sure all white. And that word is sedition. This was a seditious act. They were attempting to get a hearing on the Supreme Court to be allowed to sue other states to throw out their elections because they did not like the results of the presidential election. Yeah, it's... It honestly reminds me of episodes of the Steve Wilco show where they take a lie detector test and sometimes there's three or four questions and they'll pass on three of the questions and then fell on the fourth one and just blow a gasket that they failed on the fourth one. And Steve would always ask them, well, you're okay with the first three, right? Well, yeah, I'm okay with the first three. So why aren't you okay with the fourth one? Because it's a lie. And that's really what I'm seeing with 
I, and you know what? I'm not calling them Republicans anymore. I, I can't do it in, in all good conscience. They're not Republicans. They're Trumplicans. And that, that's kind of how I feel about these Trumplicans. They're, they were perfectly fine with the Senate outcomes and the congressional outcomes, but they didn't like the presidential outcomes. Unfortunately for them, in the United States, if you do throw out an election, you have to throw out all of it, not just one race. Because if one part of it is in question, all of it is in question. And I don't know if they just don't understand that, even though they're all serving in Congress and they seem to have some knowledge of the law. Or, I don't know what the other option could be. They all just seem to be completely ignorant of the laws in the United States. Hello, forecasters. This is Michael Hendricks, still looking for supporters out there anywhere in the internet universe. And did you know that you could be a supporter of this podcast for as little as 99 cents a month? Or if you want to be a little generous, you can go to $4.99 a month. Or if you want to be very generous, you can go up to $9.99 a month. All you need to do is go to anchor.fm forward slash forecast. That is P-R-E-Z forecast. Select the amount that you want to send me each month to help me with this podcast and make it even better each time I come out. Go to that website. You can also leave me a message. It is an audio message. If you say something funny, I may even put it on the air. That is anchor.fm forward slash press forecast. Show your support today. At the end of the day, this is insurrection, ladies and gentlemen. There's no two ways about it. I mean, I wish there were, but it's insurrection in my mind. It, it fits the definition in the Constitution. They signed on to to a brief that was going to the Supreme Court to get permission to sue four other states to invalidate their elections because they didn't like the results. And I wish this would get more play than it is, but yeah, I'm 43 years old and I've been watching the media all my entire life and I know that this is going to go away within possibly Monday when the Electoral College meets to vote. They won't hold any of these men and a couple of women responsible for what they've done. And that to me is very unsettling. And what's even more unsettling is that all every single one of them are up for re-election in 2022, as all congressmen and women are uh, only elected two-year terms, so they have to run every two years. And I have a, fe- I have a good feeling that if not all, then most of these 146 individuals will be re-elected. I believe they're all in safe seats. But they shouldn't. 
they should be held accountable for what they've done. And so I'm I'm calling on Nancy Pelosi to not seat them when Congress meets. In my mind, they were trying to rip up the Constitution, and they should not be seated to represent the Constitution. It is that simple. It really is. And then you have Bruce Wasserman out of Arkansas, who signed on to this brief. Uh, He sent out a statement, I believe it was today, it might have been like yesterday, that the reason he signed on to this brief is because he felt the Supreme Court should hear any charges of fraud. I guess 53, 54, 55 cases at this point isn't enough. (laughs) And and this is where it's really getting to a sickening level uh, with these Trumplicans is that no actual proof of of fraud to this point has been provided to any court. They keep saying there was fraud. They keep saying there's evidence of fraud. But none of them seem to want to actually show any of that proof. And that is a really amazing thing to me. That they'll send out statements, I joined this brief... Because the, the Supreme Court deserved to hear about the fraud. Well, again, what fraud, Wasterman? Either start citing actual cases of fraud or shut up about the fraud. Because in our the way our laws work in the United States, if you're not going to offer actual proof of fraud... They're not going to hear your case. And if you go to in front of a judge, whether it be a local judge or all the way to the Supreme Court, and you allege fraud and you say this is where the fraud is and then it's proven that there is none, you go to jail. It's it's illegal to allege fraud, when, fraud specific fraud, when there is none. But they just keep doing it. And then he goes on in this statement, and caused this election a hotly contested election. No, Wasterman, it wasn't a hotly contested election. Biden won over 81 million votes. He won more than 7 million votes than Trump did. He won by the same margin in in the Electoral College this year that Trump did in 2016 when you were perfectly fine with Trump saying that it was one of the largest vict- uh, margin of victories in the United States history. So how is the exact same margin in 2016 and the exact same margin in 2020 not the same thing in your eyes? And then he ends it by saying that we need to we, we need to unite. You know what, Wasserman? You had a chance to call for the United States of America for its people to unite after it was clear that Biden had won by a convincing margin. But instead you decided you decided to sign on to a brief to try to attempt to get permission to sue four other states because you didn't like the results of the presidential elections in those states. Your chance of unity passed you almost a month ago. 
trying to call on it now after 53, 54, 55. I've lost the count. Cases have shown absolutely no fraud, no wrongdoing, nothing illegal going on. It is empty. And it's pathetic, really. But, you know, just just beyond, in my mind, not seating any of those 146 Trumplicans that signed on to this brief, I, I believe there should be charges against the AGs who also signed on to this brief. This was the definition of frivolous. There was no proof. Nothing. Yet, nothing will happen to them. These were all in states that are deeply Trumplican, and if they run again, they will be reelected probably by large margins. It's really flabbergasting, to use a big word, about what's going on and how they're doing this. saw a meme on Facebook today. Yes, I still use Facebook. Uh, where it shows the Gatson flag. And if you don't remember the Gatson flag, it's a picture of a snake coiled up with the words, don't tread on me on it. And the, the top image just says Texas with the flag, don't tread on me. And the next image down shows Texas stepping on that flag as they go to try to sue four other states. You know, conservatives love to argue about states' rights and how state rights, uh, states' rights override the Constitution on everything. And that, that's just not true, first of all. It's not true. But you can't really claim to be for states' rights when you're perfectly happy getting behind a state that's trying to sue other states because they don't like the election results. Come on now. It's ridiculous. And it's got to stop. I'm hoping this all goes away Monday after the Electoral College votes and Biden is once again declared the victor of this election. But we all know it won't. We know it won't. And now back to education. Oh, when I talked on Wednesday... I got very emotional during it. I'll try to do better this time. I don't think anything will bring those same emotions out because right now I'm speaking more from a position of exhaustion, exasperation. We need to stop treating this like a regular year or a normal year because it's not. It just it, 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 there's no way to look at it as a normal year, even in those school districts that are meeting in person. It's not normal. Uh, I I love every moment that I spend with my students, even if it's on a camera, on a computer, and they're at home or some other place. You know, during during that time, there's no place I'd rather be outside of my kids actually being in the classroom with me, but that's not possible right now. But 
outside of teaching. We need to stop treating this like a normal year. You know, teachers' workloads have increased two times, three times, quadruple times what we face in a normal year. Yet we're being asked to do it with less time. And for about the same pay. And it's going to cause burnout. I said on Wednesday that it would not surprise me when we come back from holiday break, which is now three weeks from being over. Even though we still got one more week where I'm at before we even have our holiday break. That teachers would not come back. I hope I'm wrong. But I don't think I'm going to be wrong on this. We're going to lose a lot of teachers because they're burned out. They're being asked to shoulder all these responsibilities and reinvent the wheel. And it's breaking us. And what does not help is when administrations ask us to reinvent the wheel after a week or sometimes after a couple of days. Or when they tell us they're going to do this and then decide not to do it and don't even tell us. And and one thing I'm, I'm thinking of specifically is a lot of school districts are treating or at least having one day a week for, for where I'm at. It's on Wednesdays. Some it's on Fridays where there's supposed to be the way it was originally planned. There's not supposed to be anyone in the school building at all. So they have a day to do a deep clean of the school. They decided to change that to whether that day is no longer a deep clean day. They didn't bother telling teachers that. And that causes burnout. You can't constantly change plans and constantly ask teachers to reinvent the wheel and not tell them you're about to do it. It's just getting farcical at this point. Forecasters, it's getting ridiculous. And another thing that, that really got me thinking after I talked about this on Wednesday is that even though we're having to do things that have never been done before as far as teaching online at this massive a scale, none of us were trained for this. There are no college courses there's going to be now. I can almost guarantee that. There are no college courses, though, currently that teach someone who wants to be a teacher how to teach online courses. You know, it was one thing when they first started introducing online courses um, and teachers kind of kind of got to roll into it, kind of got to discover what worked and what didn't. But, you know, that was mostly at the college level or at the high school level, and it was no more than one or two classes at a time. But to completely ask us to change our mode of delivery of education sometime in a, in a couple of weeks, is difficult for even the strongest-willed person. 
and you know, call me a negative Nancy, whatever you want to call me. But if this is a normal year, why are we still being graded as if it were a normal year? Or better yet, why are we being graded using standards built for a classroom? with us teaching online you know some things some things do carry from a classroom over to online most do not most don't that is a simple fact so you know teachers weren't trained to do this yet we're being graded as if we were yeah i don't mind being uh, observed i don't mind being graded I do mind when I'm being graded by two different people and they seem to have completely different standards. And so I get different grades for the same teaching method. That seems a little weird to me. But there's one more thing I want to I want I want to touch on this as far as official observations and grading. Alright forecasters, if you haven't heard about Anchor, and by now you should have, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain a few details. First of all, it's free. It's never going to cost you anything to make a podcast on Anchor FM. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money straight from your podcast with no minimum uh, listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, if you're interested in making your own podcast like I've been doing and like some of my friends and family have been doing, you need to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Now, I'm only speaking from my experience uh, within my district. Uh, but the district was happy to announce to us at the beginning of the school year that they are starting to deal with our teachers' union uh, that instead of being officially observed three times in a year, we're only going to be officially observed two times a year. Or should I send the, the thank you card on that one? Really? Uh, but because I came through to my district on the, and through a different program, I still get my official observations with that program two times a year. So I'm still being observed officially four times a year. And I saw a meme today that said it was addressed to educators and teachers that you're doing your best and that's okay. And before I could stop my hands from typing I typed a reply to that if doing our best is okay then why am I still being graded for my performance four times this year why am I still being graded for my performance two times this year this need to make this year as normal as possible for teachers makes absolutely no sense We're not being expected to do that for our kids. You know, 
We need to be there for our kids. We need to make it seem like it's as okay as we can. But we're not being asked to make it as normal as we can for them because we know it's not possible. Yet here our higher-ups are telling teachers that we're going to make this year as normal as possible for you, as, as, as regular as possible. You know, there's a thing called social-emotional learning, SEL. And to not get too technical with it, it's just a way to make sure that our kids are learning with the clearest minds possible. When they come to class, they feel like they belong in that class. And they feel healthy in that class, and they feel safe in that class. I'm a big proponent of SEL. You know, if, if, if a kid is struggling to do the work or pay attention in class because they feel bullied or they feel, feel picked on by the students or the teacher, or they're worried about what's going on at home, It's our job as teachers, whether some teachers like it or not, but it is our job as teachers to make them feel safe in that classroom. When it is a normal year, for a lot of our kids, that eight hours the that eight hours a day they spend at the school is the best eight hours out of their day. And now they're stuck in a situation where they don't have that. So they definitely come to our Zoom meetings because they want to feel as normal as possible. So even when we're online, SEL is still a very important part of of the puzzle for education. Yet I don't believe, I don't feel that same SEL, that same social-emotional peace is being extended to teachers. We have professional development upon professional development upon professional development to train us on how best to approach SEL for our our students. You know how many sessions we've actually had that addressed the social, emotional factor of teachers one and you know what it consisted of telling us to take a break take three deep breaths find something that gives you joy and focus on it for a few minutes that's it that is not sustainable over the year I am amazed that we've made it to semester or to the end of 2020, the the 2020 portion of the 2020-2021 school year without more teachers walking off the job. COVID is not being treated seriously in this country and it is seeping down into education. There are better ways to do education online. The way most districts in this country are doing it is not the right way. And they'll tell us, we need engagement. We need to see engagement. We need to see those kids on those Zoom calls. Why? Why do we need to see the kids on the Zoom calls? 
you know, I'll, I'll happy, I'll be happy to open my Zoom call from eight o'clock and keep it open until four o'clock and talk with those kids who want to come on. But making sure they're on a Zoom call is not going to necessarily help them with the, the SEL piece of education. It's not going to necessarily help them with their education. Because for some of these kids, even if they're on the Zoom calls, they're not paying a lick of attention to you. Yeah, I don't know the answer to fix education, online education during a pandemic. But like I said, Wednesday... What we're doing right now is not working. And before I go a moment further, simply saying, okay, we're going to go back into the schools. That's not going to fix it either. You can't continue putting band-aids on deep cuts and expecting it to fix the situation. There is a way for education to work online without taxing teachers and without taxing the kids yes they need something to do to keep their, their, their time occupied while they're supposed to be learning and I said it on Wednesday I'll say it again this school year should be nothing more than a pass or fail has the student done enough to warrant them going on to the next grade. And there are easy ways to test that. But flunking a student because they didn't do the work <laughs> at this point during 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 all of this is absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. And it gets us nowhere. What we end up with well, and I'll tell you exactly how this is going to end. Those kids who do flunk because they didn't turn their work in, they will be conditionally passed on to the next grade anyways. So if we're going to conditionally pass them on to the next grade anyways, then get rid of the grading scale. It should just be a simple pass or fail. You know... I try to bring a little humor into this. Sometimes it's just not with me, but maybe I need a co-host or something that can just, you know, tee me up for jokes. Um, even when I'm not in a joking matter or joking mood. It's good to get a joke in there somewhere. But there are ways to fix education in the pandemic. And we're about to have a two week break be a perfect opportunity for school districts around this country to look at other ways that education is being done online and try those out try it like I said the school gear is lost let's have some fun with it for the teachers and the students So for my final section tonight, or segment tonight, I'm going to touch on a few different categories um, 
I'm not sure really where this is going to go. This is kind of like a hodgepodge of ideas. So just come to me as I talk. Uh, first, of course, uh, we need to talk about the pandemic, COVID. We're now at a point where we're losing more than 3,000 people a day uh, to this. That is more than, that's a little bit more than a 9-11 every day. A 9-11 every day. And still this federal government has no plan at all to stop it. It, it really is an amazing thing. It just how uncoor- uh, uncoordinated this has all been. And it, what makes it worse is that they knew. And when I say they, I'm specifically talking about the Trump administration. They knew from the get-go just how bad this could be. But instead of following, following the pandemic playbook that the Obama administration left for them. And let's be real, they couldn't really follow that playbook because they threw it away as soon as they got it. So instead of playing by any kind of playbook, they decided to wing it. And the way they decided to wing it is to downplay it as much as possible. Nah, this isn't going to get bad in the United States. We've already got a lockdown. It's just, it's just five people. It's just 15 people coming in. And you, the amazing thing is their, their whole effort to brand this the China virus. Because, you know, racist got a racist. Is that while, yes, when it first appeared in the United States, it was coming from China... The biggest hotspot at the beginning of this was actually in New York from people coming in from Europe. And it's just amazing. Even with him with, with Trump being on record, on 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 tape where you can hear his voice saying that we know this is gonna be bad. We knew this was gonna be bad, but I downplayed it anyways. This is gonna be worse than the flu. His cult heard him say this on tape. But because he went out into the public and, and, and said that it wasn't any bigger than the flu, it was just the it was kinda like the flu, really. And that we would have it beat by Easter. That's what they chose to believe. They saw the facts, or heard the facts from him. And they chose to believe his lies. And still do to this day. If you've ever wondered how cults dig in and get the followers they get and and stay prominent like they do. And then sadly, of course, in the way they do, like with Jonestown. You're seeing a really good example of it today. I'm not going to sit here and and, and say that all 74 million people that voted for Donald Trump in this last election are in the Trump cult. I'm pretty sure a lot of them are Republicans that are going to vote Republican no matter who's uh, who's on the ticket. 
but I would say it is a large majority of that 74 million that are part of the cult. You can play audio of Trump saying things, and if he says something different uh, publicly, they're going to believe what he said publicly, even though they have the facts right in front of them. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you create a cult and keep it going. That is also how we have 176 members of the Trumplican Party signing on to a brief to get permission to sue other states because they don't like the election results. Now, had this election actually been close, and when I say close, I'm talking within within a million votes. Similar to 2000, when they were separated by just a few thousand votes. And... Bush ended up winning the Electoral College by two votes, I believe. I'll have to look at that, but I think that's what he won by. That's a close election, ladies and gentlemen. This was not. It it just was not. But his cult is so enamored with him, and I don't understand why they're enamored with him. He's been a failure at everything he's ever done. The only two successful things he's ever... Well, let me phrase that, because he, he didn't win the presidency. The only successful thing he's ever done in his in his life was his, his little reality show on NBC that was pretty high on the ratings. But everything else he's ever touched has failed. Trump steaks? Trump wine? Trump University. Everything has been an abject failure. The only reason that he has millions of dollars right now, if he does, is through loans and the fleecing of his supporters. They think they're sending in donations for him to run for political office, but they're just sending in money for him to take. And this pandemic should have been easily handled. Well, easier, I guess. Because it was never going to be easily handled. But it could have been handled. We could be like most other European countries right now. Trying to stave off a second wave. Instead, we're in the midst of a third spike in the first wave. And our government is doing virtually nothing to do anything. Yeah, we do have a vaccine now that will become available within a couple of days, I believe. But we don't have near enough to get everyone inoculated in this country. And it's going to be months. Months. Before regular people actually get to start taking it. And it didn't have to be this way. And that you can put squarely on the shoulders of the Trump uh, Trump party. Squarely on their shoulders. But then you have these people. The people that are... That don't know the difference between you're and you are... 
but are somehow constitutional uh, scholars. When they clearly don't have a damn clue what they're talking about. Hello, forecasters. This is Michael Hendricks. Coming in 2021, I will be bringing you a special podcast every week covering every presidential election. That is 58 episodes. Talking about who ran, who won, and what exactly happened in each of those elections. From George Washington's first election all the way to Joe Biden. Join me to discover that even blowout elections still had drama. Only on the Prez Forecast Podcast. So this should be the end of my podcast for night. This is one last little segment. And it, it kind of goes into conspiracy theories and, and and all that fun stuff. But in my last segment, I ended talking about, you know, all these people that are suddenly constitutionalist scholars and they don't have a clue what they're talking about. In fact, I think I said they don't have a damn clue what they're talking about, and they don't. They they can't even quote parts of the Constitution, yet they want to sit there and tell us how the Constitution works. Like, that it is unconstitutional to do mail-in voting when there's nothing in the Constitution or any of its amendments saying anything about mail-in voting. That it is their constitutional right not to wear a mask in public when it's right in the very first section, the introduction to the Constitution. Give me one second. Because I'm actually going to read it to you. It is the preamble of the United States Constitution. It says, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. It's in there twice, ladies and gentlemen, forecasters. Ensure domestic tranquility, promote the general welfare. What the hell do you think welfare is Welfare is, if it isn't people wearing a mask out in public so they don't pass on a deadly sickness to other people? It is not your constitutional right not to wear a mask. Sorry to break that to you, but it's not. It just isn't. Now, if you're at home... And you want to host a big damn party with 50 people and no one wearing a mask? Cool. Be that kind of stupid. But none of those people better come out in public. Because if even one person in that party has COVID, walks into that party with COVID, it is going to spread like a wildfire. And when those people leave those party, that party, and they go out into their world, they're going to spread it even more. It is absolutely the right of the government to impose mask mandates. If you don't want to follow the mask mandate, then stay in your home. 
don't put the rest of us in danger because you're selfish. Or because you think you know the Constitution better than anyone else and you don't know a thing about it. You know, there's a lot of a lot I could say about issues with the Constitution that people don't truly seem to get. I'm going to try not to because that could be its own little podcast that goes on for days. But I'll just touch on two briefly. And as it just so happens, they're both amendments. First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. There's a lot of information in there. But the two I want to focus on, the two I'm going to mention briefly, is that Congress shall make law, no law respecting an establishment of religion. In other words... Christianity is not the religion of the United States because there is no religion of the United States. There is such a thing as separation of church and state. Because when governments are allowed to make laws based on religion, then you pretty much throw out the first part of the First Amendment. So when they say that teachers cannot lead prayer groups in school, that is the separation of church and state. That doesn't mean that there can't be prayers in school. People who say that clearly have not been in a public institution in a very long time. And as one of my former mentors told me when I first started into the teaching role, he said, people who say that prayer is not allowed in school have never been in a school on the day of a test. Because there's a lot of praying. All it means is that teachers and principals cannot lead prayers. If a student wants to lead a prayer, they are more than welcome to. And then the other part that is often misused, mostly by Trumplicans, is that the freedom of speech cannot be abridged. I don't know how to break this to some of you. But your post being taken off Twitter or Facebook is not an attack on your freedom of speech. These are private companies, privately owned. They can do whatever they want to on those websites. They want to take down post after post after post. They can do that. What can't happen is you cannot be arrested. You cannot be charged with saying certain things. You cannot be targeted by any government official for what you say. That's what that part of the amendment means. Now, there are limits on it. Of course there are. You can't walk into a crowded theater and yell fire, which causes a stampede. Someone gets injured or dies. You can be arrested for that. Because it's inciting violent or inciting a riot. The other one that I'll mention real quick, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it, 
is frankly, I'm tired of the argument. Second Amendment. Most people, when they quote the Second Amendment, this is what they quote. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. You're leading off an entire segment of that amendment. The full amendment reads, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The Second Amendment was meant nothing more than to make sure that militias at the time, because that was basically our state militaries before... Uh, We really had a full military and before we had the state reserves. It was to make sure that they had the proper weapons to defend themselves and defend their homes. It is my firm belief, and I will believe this till the day that I die, that the Second Amendment was never meant for regular people to own guns. I'm on a minority on this. But... I have read this amendment over and over and over again. I have read the arguments that were made at the time. And much like a lot of the rest of the Constitution, the Second Amendment was really put in there to help Virginians Virginians, capture slaves that had escaped. Make sure they had the training with their guns to make sure they could recapture slaves. That's it. The second piece, of course, being making sure that the militias were trained. But no matter how you stand on this, our forefathers never, ever believed that regular Americans had any kind of right to own a weapon of war. And that is specifically those types of guns that are built and made and manufactured to kill the most people in the shortest amount of time. I don't have problems with pistols. I don't have problems with shotguns. Though I've long said if you need if you need any type of semi-automatic weapon to go hunting, as this, that's sometimes the argument, I think you're a really bad hunter. And you probably just need to stop. So, that's it for the hodgepodge. That's it for this podcast. As always, forecasters, wear your mask out in public. Maintain social distance, if at all possible. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on the other side.